and you take the next step off into the woods and you say, I'm going for something different. I'm going to live something different. And I'm going to end up with a lot of scratches. I might lose an eye, a couple of fingers along the way, but carving a new path is going to be where my kids walk and my grandkids walk. Yep. And my neighbors walk and my country walks. It's worth getting out there. Everybody grab a machete. We're going, we're carving a new path. And that's so hard. And most of us look at that wilderness and we say, dude, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. There's some program for me here. I'll be fine. And man, every one of listening to this is worth carving that new path. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible human being, an entrepreneur, a business leader, a CEO, a nonprofit director, an author, community activist, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but with what they do for a living, with what with their career. My goal with this show is to show you, the listener, that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can make an impact. My guest this week is Dr. John Deloney. He is a national best-selling author, mental health and wellness expert, and host of the Dr. John Deloney Show. He holds two PhDs, one in counselor education and supervision, and another in higher education administration. Before joining Ramsey Solutions, John spent two decades working as a senior leader at multiple universities, a professor and researcher and crisis responder. Now as a Ramsey personality, he teaches people how to reclaim their lives from the madness of the modern world. You cannot be well or lead well alone. You must be connected. Leadership and entrepreneurship can be a super lonely journey and loneliness creates an overactive fight or flight response causing chronic stress challenges. So he is talking all about how to combat loneliness, mitigate stress, and help you actually own your past and change your future. His new book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future, is an incredible, incredible book that talks all about entrepreneurship, mental health, loneliness, mastering your thoughts, changing your actions, unpacking our stories, and how we can change the narrative. When I tell you John and I had the best conversation, I am not kidding. We laughed, we got real deep, we talked about everything from suicidal ideation to uh, chickens. So we really ran the gamut <laughs> in this conversation, but when I tell you this is going to be an impactful conversation that is going to stick with you for weeks, if not months and years to come. I am not joking. So without further ado, we're going to get right into my conversation with Dr. John Deloney. John, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Molly. I'm so grateful for you. I am so excited to get to know you more. Uh, just even before we were recording, I'm like, all right, this is going to be fun. So uh, for the listeners, buckle up. I just, I, I have no idea what's going to happen today. But ah, buckle this. That's awesome. I just Excellent. feel like something is going, uh, something amazing is on the horizon. Uh, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. So John, give us the, uh, the John 101, who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. I'm John, and I am... A husband and father of two beautiful little hurricanes, a 12-year-old little boy and a six-year-old little girl. And I got a bunch of chickens, a couple of dogs. I live out in the country outside of Nashville and where I host a radio show, a couple different shows here. And I've been working in mental health and walking alongside people when the wheels have just fallen off for years and years and years and years. And I've spent most of my career working in higher education as a dean of students type of position as a as a professor and researcher, just a nerd, really. And uh, working with police officers after hours. And then recently, a couple of years ago, joined this wild team here in Nashville to uh, start up some shows and start helping people be well. So, you know, I bet you that you're the kind of person that goes on you know, podcasts or other people's shows and they want to talk to you about your credentials, your PhD, your you know, all of the the knowledge that's inside of your brain. And here I am. And I'm like, let's talk about your chickens. Okay. Uh, because I also live in the country. We also live on a farm. And just before we started recording, so we raise here, we have goats, chickens, ducks, guinea fowl, 
and uh, meat birds. We raised turkeys. And literally five minutes before we started recording, all of my guineas were outside of my window, just losing their ever loving minds. And I was like, how am I going to get them away from this window? Otherwise, everybody listening to this episode is just going to hear like, like all the crazy welcome them in i, I hope there's it. a coyote sitting under there and they're just trying to tell you hey <laughs> we're about to all die and you're like hey be quiet i got a I podcast going i know way to go but literally as of this recording we currently because my garage is basically a tiny uh like hatchery i have uh we have we are sitting at a hundred birds right now <laughs> whoa so when I meet somebody else who raises chickens, I'm like, can we discuss your chickens? So what do you raise? What do you have? You guys eat or just eggs or just for fun? Are they expensive lawn ornaments? What is it? So I'm an expert chicken raiser. I love um, it. And we have a couple of black ones. We had some red ones. They some got eaten and um, we eat their eggs. Yeah. And then I'm going to put a period at the end of my chicken knowledge effective immediately. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> My son does, he's read a bunch of chicken books. He's kind of into it. And he puts like the blue ointment on their butts whenever they peck at each other. I don't know what's all going on back there, but I know that they, we have a surplus of eggs and I love it. And I like, they eat all the ticks out of the yard. So yeah, I love it. they do. I Raising chickens is probably a stretch. It might probably mean <laughs> super a stretch. We are barely, <laughs> we had 11 and we're down to five. So they just keep getting attacked and eaten by hawks and coyotes and whatever okay. our own dogs anything so yeah we're so figuring out how i to was gonna it. ask you i was like well maybe he has some hawk tips because we also have been having all of the hawk issues recently and i i realized that hawks are federally protected animals but they are on my you know what list right now so uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's something about a hawk and it just looks superior to me it looks down it upon me from a tall really tree does. and i think i'm i'm sorry sir you can you can murder my pet <laughs> You, you look like that's the right thing to do. Yes, sir. And I just want to back up and let the hawk do the hawk. Yeah. Go and about listen, your business. If my chicken can't figure it out. It wasn't meant to be. <laughs> wasn't meant to be. And that's probably not true. I could probably be a better chicken dad, but there's no such thing as that. And that's a whole other podcast. I know so, it really is. Go. I know. Let's really get deep into the psychology of raising chickens. And like, what does it say about you <laughs> that you don't um, like, sir? How can I? It's a, I'm like a miniature prepper. <laughs> wannabe who's watched too many youtube videos but as does not have enough courage and i have a wife who actually did grow up on a farm and she won't let me get sheep and goats because she, in her words and i quote you don't know what you're doing end quote so <laughs> we're just gonna have some chickens and some eggs and they're good oh we for sure don't know what we're doing we're learning as we go but it's our experience is one million percent trial by fire like <laughs> one million percent we have best way to learn right? i know so we got our goats in the fall and we got a mama and her two boys and the mom came to us pregnant and we did not know that she was pregnant. Her previous owner didn't know she was pregnant. And so it just became this like, uh, how far along is she? When is she going to have baby goats? And so then I just, I've learned everything off of YouTube and I have no shame in admitting that I'm like everything we do here on our farm, I have learned off of YouTube. And I think that that is uh, what makes us all, uh, we all have like equal opportunity these days because of YouTube. <laughs> I know. And the cool thing about YouTube is 100% of the things on YouTube are accurate. That's, that's my favorite part 100%. about it. 100%. Is everything on it is true. <laughs> and that allows us to make decisions when it comes to raising guineas, children, uh, being good citizens, yeah. uncovering the truth that the media just won't tell. It, it's so good for everything. It is. It, yeah, it's. And whether it's a 14-year-old spouting off <laughs> keto diet virtues or telling me what's wrong with my mental health, or it's yeah. a 90-year-old telling me, you know what's happening next after Russia. Yeah. Whatever, dude, YouTube has got us all, all we're, it's all taken care of. It's like our great big grandparent now. It's awesome. Yeah. And you really get to f see the beauty of love and compassion and empathy in the YouTube <laughs> comments section. Like the people. Okay, who are so this is great. So when I took this job again, I'm a higher ed nerd. I, I'm just a, a nerd. And when I took this job, I and I've been responding to parents who are upset for years. They don't like the cafeteria at the university I work at, or their son or daughter is sick, or is in a hospital and needs help, whatever. And so I, right at the beginning of having a YouTube show, somebody put a comment. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't know to not go look at the comments. Never. And I thought never. I was down the rabbit hole, and somebody was like. 
you're an idiot. This is whatever. And they didn't say you're an idiot. They were super colorful. And so I was trying to figure out how to log in and uh, give them my cell number so they could call me. And I was trying to figure out how to log in. And I asked somebody in the office, I was like, hey, how do I get in here? And they're like, why do you want in there? As though I, I should know it's just like a sewer. <laughs> and I said, well, I need to give this person my number so they can call me. They're really upset with something I said on my show. I'm pretty sure I'm right, but man. And they looked at me and they thought I was kidding. And they realized I wasn't kidding. I, <laughs> never, never, never. God help us all. Never put your number on. What are you doing? And I had no idea. And over the last couple of years, I've learned all about the, uh, the internets. How, <laughs> <laughs> man, it's going to be a wonderful place and it can be a, a, an abyss. Yeah. Al Gore's internet really just like is a wild, wild place that, <laughs> you know. Um, okay. So uh, chickens and whatnot aside, uh, you actually have a real job, you know, and like th- credentials and all these kinds of things. Um, But one of the things that I thought was really interesting um, in my light to moderate internet stalking and um, things that I just happen to know about you is you decided to go into psychology. Like you literally changed your major after watching the movie Goodwill hunting. Goodwill hunting. That's right. And I just would love for you to share that story as to why this this movie became so. I mean, in some ways, it was like a very transformational experience for you because yeah. you, in probably in m- most cases, wouldn't be where you are today had you not watched that movie and and decided to the next Monday go into your university. What is it? You know, academic advisor and be like, I'm going to change my major. Office, yeah. <laughs> Right. So I think most of us get hung up on pictures and models. Okay. And here's what I mean by that. My dad was growing up a homicide detective in Houston police department, and he was a hostage negotiator for the SWAT team. Well, so when something was going down, someone was going to blow up a building or they had taken somebody hostage or they were going to hurt themselves. They would call my dad in and he'd go sit with them. And I grew up with those type of stories. He was really open with me as, as a young kid. And also he was a homicide detective. He worked in the most bonkers situation. So I knew those things. And I also knew when things are going down, you go in. That's your job as a, just as a citizen, right? So I have these very vivid memories of him sitting at the table and then the phone rings. And back then, you know, there, it hung on the wall and had the cord and he would talk in his low hushed tones. And then he would go back to his bedroom and he'd come out putting on his bulletproof vest. And he had this cockamamie grin like, all right, here we go. And I just thought, as all kids watching their parents, it's just what you do. So when the house is on fire, when something's going on, when somebody's in a car wreck, you just stop. So yeah, I knew that. And so I bounced around major to major to this to that. I didn't really, I didn't have a picture of, I didn't understand the gap between college kid and how do you go help people. And I knew like you join the FBI. I didn't know what that meant, right? I, you go become a psychologist. What is that actually? What? And then when I watched Goodwill Hunting. You know, obviously Matt Damon's a smoke show and Ben Affleck's in there and everything. It's all cool and smart and all the stuff. And it was awesome. It was a great picture of boyhood and friendship and all that stuff was beautiful. But the person I kept gravitating towards was Robin Williams character, mm-hmm. who is an exhausted guy who's lived it, who has finally found peace. Um, he's a community college professor after having been a kind of a, a, a genius, if you will. That's the part I really identified with yeah. Molly. It's like, ah, oh, there's a, there too is another genius, right? Not at all. <laughs> Um, but that was the first time I, I had seen the inside of what that would look like. Right. Oh, he sits with this young man and challenges him and loves him and presses buttons and has his buttons pressed. And this is what connection looks like. And so I remember leaving thinking, I want to do that and not the good old hunting character, but the Robin Williams, like, I, I want to go do that. I, I see what that looks like. And it took 15 years for me to loop my way back around. To, to get back into it, if you will. Right. Um, but yeah, it's been a fun, fun adventurous journey. But that's the Goodwill Hunting story. Love I, that film. I think it's such a fun story. And because I think it shows that often the most unique or even like seemingly mundane circumstances or experiences can greatly impact us. Um, almost like it reminds me of that movie from the, I think it was like late 90s, early 2000s, Sliding Doors. It was like yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. Yeah, and it was like the two, and it, I don't even know if it was a great movie, but I think it was, I loved the concept of it, this idea of like 
what happens in your life if you if you happen to make it through the the doors of the train and you catch the train or what happens in your life if you miss the train and mm-hmm. the kind of the two uh storylines of your life that diverge um i think that's the word i'm looking for and i've thought about that a lot in my own life too like little tiny micro decisions that i made over the years that if I look back to like from where I am now, if I kind of almost follow the the breadcrumbs back in, in time and I think like, man, had I made this little decision differently, how different my life would have turned out. And uh, so anyway, I just I think it's such a cool like if you had watched, you know, I don't know, Forrest Gump, like, you know, instead of Goodwill Hunting. I'd be a professional runner. Yeah, exactly. Fast, but I would have figured it out, right? <laughs> yeah, I was running. Um, <laughs> okay. So you, you know, you are an expert. I would say that you, you're an expert in the, in the field of, you know, mental health and relationships and wellness. And I love that um, in your new book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future, you really tackle these issues in such a just like almost like this um, easy approach to very heavy things. And um, you kind of peel back the curtain, I feel like, um, because we're while we have seen an improvement over the years talking about these things as a culture, as a society, we're still very much far from where we should be. And um, I mean, I, th- I think about, you know, just my own personal journey of going through depression and um, grief and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, I, I didn't talk about those things for a very long time until I really hit rock bottom. Um, and how I was raised by incredible parents, incredible parents, but parents who just didn't equip me with the tools to like right. help in a healthy way talk about things and talk about my feelings. Um, I, I, and I, I set all this up because I use the example of like when my, my mom died when I was a senior in high school and, um, it was after battling a really long, rare disease. She was exposed to agent orange when she served in the Vietnam war and she had this super rare disease. And it was just like this really like eight years of trauma, like ongoing trauma in my life. Um, my mom died. I tried to go to school the next day. Like I was like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. It's like the the scene from uh, in in Friends when Ross is like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I don't know why my voice is coming out all loud and squeaky, um, but I'm fine. And I, you know, I tried to go to school, but I, I never went to therapy. Not one time. And just used all of these things to self medicate. You know, whether it was just spending money or. Uh, quote unquote success, pursuing success and status. Um, that that was a self medication, and it wasn't till I ended up tens of thousands of dollars in consumer debt that I hit rock bottom, and then just like continued to go down, 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 down. And it then it wasn't until 2018 when I finally went to therapy for the first time at the age of like oh, wow. 33. You know what I mean? Hey, good for you for being brave. That's awesome. <laughs> you know. Good for you. So I set up all that to say like. This can be an issue that both women and men struggle with. They struggle with it differently of um, this mentality of I can do this on my own. I don't need help. I can battle my anxiety or I can, you know, I can approach my depression with just, you know, some good old fashioned know how <laughs> you know what i mean um, youtube man youtube, YouTube. where from, were you on that one exactly Molly? oh gosh oh that was a terrible i should have called back to that real quick that was thank you for um having my back on that yeah from with with youtube and just like some quote unquote self care bubble baths and whatnot um so i would love for you to just uh tell us like why is this something in particular that you personally felt called to tackle. And I know that it's because this was something that you also went through. Right. Um, I think going back to, again, pictures and models, I just did what I was supposed to. I made good grades and I'm a pretty privileged guy. I'm a tall 195 pound guy that was good at sports. And so I kind of, I got to skate through life a little bit. um, And I made good grades without trying super hard. And uh, my parents put a big emphasis on reading. And so I got set out, I got set out of the gate with uh, ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And then I just 
did the next thing I'm supposed to, which go to college. And I did the next thing I'm supposed to do that, which was get a job and then go to graduate school. And then, so I just kept doing the next thing I was supposed to be doing with no regard for how much it cost. So my wife and I ended up with our big first fancy PhDs and we owed six figures in student loans. And we were, I guess you're supposed to buy a house now. <laughs> and we tried to have kids. And so we struggled with infertility and we just kept running. And then mm-hmm. like you, as the wheels started rattling on the car, I thought, oh, I know how to solve this. I'll achieve more mm-hmm. and I'll go make more money and I'll go do more stuff. Hey, will you, I need somebody to take over this department. This guy just left and we're not going to refill the position. I got it. Hey, well, um, you just got accepted this Harvard program. You want to go? I actually, I'm in. Hey, can you teach a Sunday school class? Yep, I can do that. Do you even believe in God? No one asked me that question. Be like, yeah, I'll, I'll go do that. Right. So I was all over the place mm-hmm. and really it was running and running and running. I was trying to outrun a body that was saying, hey, 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 enough, yeah. enough. And I didn't have a picture of what enough looked like. Yeah, I only had a model for do it faster and do it harder. And if you get scared, go even faster. And ultimately, my body said, I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. And that's anxiety. That's depression. That's fill in the blank. That's when your body says, hey, we're, we're out. We can't keep doing this. And I didn't have a model for what was next. And so it ended up, I ended up getting a car and driving to another city. I was a paranoid mess. And I think it's important to note here, I never ended up in rehab. Yeah, I never had to be carried out and to go to a psych ward. I was like most people in this country. I was living with this low-level depression. I was living with this anxiety that I didn't know what it was. Yep. Everything was rattling. And I just thought this is what happens. And everyone said, no, you just, gain 40 or 50 pounds. And yeah, you just have less sex as you get older. That's just kind of part of it. And yeah, she's annoying and you're supposed to be a jerk and blah, blah. And nobody goes around dad on Sundays. And and I just got in line Hmm. and it wasn't until I got in a car and drove three hours away to meet with a buddy who was a medical doctor. I, I walked straight in his office, had no, no appointment. I walked right past his receptionist and I walked back there. And back then, dude, I was a mess. I was the guy that came into the house and everyone's like, Hey, because I always loved everybody to be rattled up. And so I walked in his office and his name was Jeff. And he said, Deloney, what are you doing? And I said, hey, man, I'm not okay." And he says he still gets goosebumps to this day when he remembers that because he'd never seen me like that. And he said, hey, Mm -hmm. sit down. What's going on? And that was the first time in my life I started talking. So the calling for this book is, man, we hear the stories of the deeply schizophrenic. We hear the stories of the big, giant, profound Oh my gosh, what's happening? Right. And there's 330 million of us in between that bell curve going, is this what life is supposed to be? Mm. Is this it? Is this my marriage? Is, is this how this ends up? And I just pass this to my kids and them to their kids? Is a nicer, bigger house and a shinier car? Is that what we're doing here? And nobody has ever, I haven't seen anybody walk it back. And so my ho- hope in this book is I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you, man. I've sat with a whole bunch of people over the years. I've walked it myself and it's a long, scary walk by yourself. And um, so let's see if we can give somebody a new picture of what life could look like. I really appreciate the way that you approach that because you're right. There is so many millions of people that are walking around. Cause I didn't, I also didn't, you know, go to rehab. I didn't like quote unquote, like fall off the deep end or anything. It was like this slow little by little trickle of uh, anxiety until, you know, it got to a point where just, and it was like, a, you know, you'd have these roller coaster moments where you're like, everything's fine, everything's fine. And then, okay. And now I am spiraling mentally and, you know, everything around me is crashing and burning. Um, but it's not, but it, it didn't have like that big, uh, yeah, somebody having to carry you to a psych ward or, or you, you know, you're just total, which that happens. And, and, we grieve those things too. I mean, those things do happen, but there are millions and millions of people that are battling this kind of this just everyday anxiety, struggle, just stress, overwhelm. Um, My knees hurt, my back hurts, my neck hurts. Getting adult acne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just what happens. Yeah. Um, All your hair just turns color overnight. Like this is just normal. This is what happens. Um, no, you're not supposed to keep exercising. You're supposed to keep, no, you're not going to, you can't do squats when you're 40. It's going to hurt your, we just live with this and we go, yeah. all right. And then we're on to the next and then we're yeah. on to the next. And then in short order, Netflix pops on the scene mm-hmm. 
And now Netflix knows me better than any of my friends. And it just tells me, hey, don't get up. I got the next movie for you. Then you're going to like it. I know because my algorithms are smarter than your brain. Yeah. Just stay put, man. And then Amazon says, we already know what you want to buy next. You don't even know, but we do. Mm -hmm. And now we've automated. I have a friend who's got a water bottle who tells her when to drink. We've outsourced thirst. We outsource everything. And it just lets mm -hmm. us live this life. And I'm, I'm calling BS on it. No more. Like, we're not doing that, man. There's too much beauty and too much laughter and too much joy and too much chaos to have in between. What's a pretty tough life for most of us? Man, I'm out to reclaim it. And I want to bring as many people along with me as I can. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Dr. John Deloney to thank our partner of the show. And that is Mama Suds. It is beautiful outside. It's gorgeous. It's spring. And so it is time to bust open the windows and grab your Mama Suds germ cleaners and get to cleaning. You can clean the windows, the walls, the floors, upholstery, carpets, you name it. Mama Suds has a truly safe product that works to help you clean. We have personally used Mama Suds in our home for years. I love their toilet bombs. I love their Castile soap. I love their oxygen powder. I love everything that Mama Suds makes because they are safe and they are effective. They also smell really amazing. So head on over to mamasuds.com and use the code Molly for 15% off your order. That's mamasuds.com. Use the code Molly for 15% off your order. Now back to my conversation with Dr. John Deloney. What do you think has been for you the number one or and if maybe it's one or two things that really began to shift your thinking on, you know what, life doesn't actually have to be like this. I can actually get help and it doesn't have to be from YouTube. <laughs> it can be, you know, like there is actually hope and healing and joy and purpose and all of the things on the other side of what feels like chaos. What have been the, the one or two things for you personally that have been really transformational in that journey? And then on the flip side, have you seen those two things also be transformational for others? Or do you find that it can kind of be, differ depending on the person? Yeah, great question. So I'd say that the two things are, um, and I'll do it in order. Yeah. So a cornerstone of me getting in the car and driving to go talk to a friend was not me, not my decision. That was made out of desperation. Mm. It was a pathetic reaching out. Somebody help me because I've, I've told you all I could swim for so long and now I'm too far from shore and I, I need help, right? The, the hero of that story is my friend. Mm. The hero of that season was Slade, uh, an attorney who worked out with me. We were just workout buddies. And I was, again, I was an academic nerd and we worked out together every morning at 5 a.m. And I thought it was the exercise. You know what it was? It was a guy that just kept showing up and showing up and showing up. It was Randy and Slade. We had lunch every Tuesday for a year. And Randy was a monk. He was a bioethics professor and a monk. Mm -hmm. And he told me things like, you know what I wish? I wish, because I would say, I want people to be more excited when I walk into a room. And he said, wow, that's interesting. I want people to be a little more peaceful after they interact with me than they were before. This is an, er an era of stress and anxiety. And I want people to be a little more peaceful. And I remember going, ooh, I want that. How, how, do, you, how do you do that? Mm. And then I moved to a new city and I hung out with some friends that I had known for 20, 30 years. And we had regular evenings together. So I tell you all that to tell you the cornerstone, the, the, the light that started coming through the cracks was found in other people, mm. in reconnection, in true, hey, dude, this is just who I am. Do you still love me? And them saying, yep. You're a weird dude, man, but we love you. Come grab a drink and sit at our table. And that sounds weird for a big tough guy that used to do MMA and that ran, the, ran with cops in the middle of the night for years. But dude, it was being seen and being loved. That's number one is connection. And the second thing is, is really paying attention and unwinding these stories that run our days and our nights and they run our unconscious thoughts that saying, our childhood biography as our adult biology becomes our adult biology is so true. And how do I unwind these stories so that my body stops responding as to a fight or to flee from everything so that it quits freezing up on me so I can figure out, hey, this person isn't a threat. This person loves me and I love them. How do we, let's figure this out. 
this is a scary situation, but this isn't something to run from. This is something to lean into. How do I begin to address my physiology? And it starts with unwinding these stories. So human connection, real people in a real room doing life together and um, having adventures together, getting in trouble together, saying, I'm sorry, forgiving one another. That's number one. And addressing these stories is number two. And yes, unquestionably, um, I've seen that play out in person after person and group after group, year after year. Um, we have a absolute, um, I don't want to use the words because they've been co-opted. The chief enemy of our time is loneliness. Mm -hmm. We are a desperately lonely culture and our bodies are screaming at us. Anxiety, depression, those are alarms. That's the gas gauge on our cars. When your gas gauge is at E, the gas gauge isn't the problem. You don't duct tape over it so you can't see it. It's just letting you know, hey, you're about to run out. Depression's trying to get our body's attention. It's a response. Anxiety is trying to get our body's attention. When my OC, I'm, I've got <laughs> compulsions that are hilarious and annoying. <laughs> when they start spinning up, it's, they're not the problem. They're just letting me know, hey, my body's trying to solve some problems that you have chosen not to solve, like being connected, like slowing down, like getting sleep, like working out, like eating right, right? Some of these things that are just so foundational and basic. And so I've stopped going to war with my body. I've tried to teach people to stop going to war with your body and listen. What is that thing trying to tell you? Because it's pretty intuitive and pretty smart. And now we got to go do the hard, hard work of connecting with other people, dealing with those traumas that tell you that you're not worth connecting to or that other people are scary and relearning how to live in these finite little bodies. We have. Man, I couldn't help but think of in that first point you were talking about of just the importance of connection and surrounding yourself and um, not only just to be in community with other people, but the encouragement from other people when we are struggling, like those people that we are legitimately doing life with. And that sounds like very like Christianese, but like, oh, woo -woo, I'm like, very, oh, woo -woo, like yeah. I'm doing life with these people, but really like the people that know <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about, but oh, I don't really sure. know a better phrasing for it because I'm like, well, yeah. it's kind of true. Like just the people that know you that are in the depths with you that you can laugh with, that you can share the hard stuff with. And I was reading uh, something the other day, um, a commentary on, um, or and I don't even know if it was a commentary, but kind of an article on the story in the Bible where um, the man, the paralytic is lowered down uh, through the roof of a house uh, to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus is, is preaching in uh, Capernaum and, you know, he's, this house is full of people and uh, these friends want to see their 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 friend, the paralytic, healed. And there's no way to get him in the house to see Jesus. So they climb on top of the roof, they remove parts of the roof, and they drop him down. And one of the lessons of, behind that uh, story that I had never considered before was that it was the faith of his friends that healed him. Mm. We don't know, I mean, because the scripture, you know, Bible doesn't tell us like that he asked his friends to take him to Jesus. It was that his friends knew that he could be healed by this guy. And so they took him to Jesus and and Jesus even says to the, the woman, to the friend of the guy, your faith is beautiful. Like your faith is incredible. And so it's the friend's faith that heals the paralytic. And I, and it just talked about like, the the lesson is like surrounding yourself with people who will pray for you and the mm. the importance of like being that person to when when your friend is in it and can't possibly think of how to pray for themselves or how to ask for help that you as the friend can be the one to storm the gates of heaven and be like I need to pray for this person and I need to, I need to support this person and lift them up or lower them down uh, when, when they can't do it themselves. And then on the flip side, like when you do that for other people, they then in turn do that for you. And we are seeing more than ever, especially, gosh, I hate to bring it up, but it's the elephant in the room. The last two years where people are isolated, people are lonely. I mean, I legitimately know people who still right now, as of this recording, are afraid to go out in public. Sure. Like they're, they're legitimately afraid to be around people. 
they've stopped going to church. They just watch church online. They, or they've stopped going to church or even watching online altogether. They've withdrawn and it's understandable. But then we have to realize at what point are, have we isolated ourselves and become so lonely that it just, that's a pandemic in and of itself. (laughs) Oh, I I think it's, um, somebody asked me recently in in a different interview, they said, do you think that this, what's happened the last few years is as bad of a national tragedy as 9-11? Oof. And I said, as, as shape-shifting as 9-11 was, when it happened, we had a perceived core enemy. We all had somebody to point our finger at. Mm-hmm. And over the last two years, I think this tragedy has been infinitely more profound and it will rattle through us for centuries because... What was weaponized was human connection. That little girl might give you a disease that's going to kill you. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't kill you, it might kill your wife. Mm. Your grandmother, you might make her sick and kill her by hugging her. Yep. If you bring food to her house and it's not sanitized properly, you might take out your mother-in-law. Who are you, right? And so what was weaponized was oxygen for humans. Each other. The things that keep us alive was weaponized and that was each other, right? Mm -hmm. And so the after effects, the aftershocks, the thing that sucks so bad about anxiety is it's self-reinforcing, right? It creates, there's fear and your body responds to that thing. And when you see that thing again, it responds louder and louder and it becomes, the, the loop becomes tighter and tighter. And so right now we've got millions of people who right, wrong or indifferent stayed in. And I'm not going to fault anybody for their trauma response. I've been in too many traumatic situations. Nobody responds. You know what happens if that guy pulls a gun? I'm going to, you don't have any idea what you're going to do right. Right? until it happens. So I don't fault anybody for their trauma response. But now as the page is slowly turning, we have to look and say, hey, the data tells me that if I stay isolated and alone, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. My body is going to slowly implode these diseases of despair, this suicide, the addiction, the organ disease failures, it's plaguing our country, Western, the whole Western world. It's we're lonelying ourselves to death. And so I'm scared to go out and I have to, Mm. I'm scared to stop smoking. I'm going to, right. It's the same thing I've got to lean into. Okay. I know what I have to do to be well now. And we have to start talking that boldly about the dangers of loneliness because it's making our brains shift and push us into ways that is dangerous. And there's a cliff if we're not careful. You're absolutely right. And I unfortunately know far too many people who in the last two years have taken their own lives and way more people than I feel like I should know um, or more stories I've, you know, that I've heard of, of this happening. And um, I just, I want to say, especially because I want to be sensitive to this topic, especially for listeners that this might be legitimately like a difficult topic to face and to, and and is extremely triggering and hard um, because I guarantee you every single person listening, like, has been affected by suicide in some way, shape or form. And I mean, I shared kind of briefly that I had times of during um, when I was depressed and, um, you know, I had suicidal ideation and and I struggled with this. And so I feel like it's more common than not. And this was even pre-pandemic, <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Yeah. And so you yeah. just, it's like this compounding issue that just, it doesn't, it's like, because I I have to lighten the mood a minute. It's like when you have to go to the bathroom, yeah. like it doesn't get better unless you go to the bathroom. Like it's, it doesn't like, That's right. like if you're on a road trip and you're like, I kind of have to use the restroom. I, I, I think I need to use the facilities. Uh, I'll, I'll just wait a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're like 30 miles down the road and there's no, and you're just like, all right. And now I feel like I'm imploding. Um, so I realize that's a really ridiculous example, but like, it doesn't get better. Okay. You have to, de- yeah. you have to deal, with, deal it. with it. You got to deal with and, it. And I'll tell you this. Um, it was a couple of years ago. It was the great Peter Atia, who I just have a lot of respect for. He's got a brilliant podcast. He has ter- given a phrase that I had never considered before, and it's been transformative for me in how I see human behavior and the way our culture sh- is shifting. He called it long tail suicide. Mm-hmm. And there are people who they die by suicide, right? They find themselves in that mix of lack of belonging and the ability to do it and that worthiness. Like they find themselves there. 
But then there's the silent millions and millions and millions who are Netflixing themselves and working themselves and drinking themselves and exercising themselves. They are running and hiding. They're angering themselves. They're fighting everything. And he called it long tail suicide. It's an inability or a lack of willingness to either one to sit down and face the stories. And so what we're going to do is we're not going to jump off anything. We're not going to take any, a bottle of pills. We're going to slowly, slowly fade out. Mm. And that, I mean, I've, I've done too many funerals of people, of young people who've taken their lives. That's uh, we've, you know, and I'm pretty outspoken about getting involved in that. But it's the untold silence. This is just the way this is. And this is just the way this is going to be. Mm-hmm. That's the voices. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate to flip the lights on and turn the music off and look them in the eye and say, you are worth being loved. And it doesn't have to be this way. Let's do something different. And that's the crew, whether it's somebody's dad or somebody's granddad or somebody's high school kid. Um, that's the stupor I'm hoping to, to shake us out of. What do you think... For the person who is saying, all right, John, that's all well and good, but like you don't know my situation and I'm lonely and I can't make any friends. I'm 45 and I'm in a dead end job and I am isolated or, you know, or or I'm legitimately still afraid of COVID and I feel like I can't be in community, but I know I need it. I mean, there's, we could name 17 million different examples, slight exaggeration, Um, but, but not really for those. Yeah, but not really. (laughs) But for those people that are listening that are like, I don't know how to be in community with other people and I don't know how to find it. What is your biggest piece of advice for those people? It's a scary, scary place to be. Right. And I think it's owning that up front. That's scary. I wish there was some more nuanced and savant advice I could give you. But what I'll tell you is this, you're worth the risk. And as the great Esther Perel says, all relationship is a risk. The 50-year marriage is still a risk every morning. Will she still love me today? And when you treat your marriage that way, it has a chance to make 51 years. When you say, ah, I'm in, and you throw your feet up and you say, hey, I need another drink. That's the first day the sucker starts winding itself down, right? Every relationship is a risk, whether it's a 50-year marriage or a hi, how are you? My name is John, and you are worth the risk. And so moving forward, here's the two words to keep in mind, practice and curious. Relationships moving forward, we have turned them into the Super Bowl. If I miss this one conversation, oh my gosh, it's over. It's not. It's not over. LeBron James will take 100, 200, 300 shots before tonight's game, and he'll miss a whole bunch of them. Why? Because he's practicing for tonight's game, of which he will miss a lot of shots, too. He'll miss more than he makes. And he's going to go into the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest of all time. If we will look at relationships that way, especially new ones, I'm practicing. Hey, you want to to come over? Everybody bring what's in your fridge and come over. Oh, y'all don't like that? Well, that's kind of how I roll. Okay, right? I'm practicing. And if somebody says, no, I'm not coming to your house, instead of going instantly to judgment to they're an idiot or it's because I'm the word. Just be curious. Huh? What's my body trying to tell me right now when it responds in shock or shame or horror or laughter? Be curious about it and then move on to the next crew and be patient with yourself. Just continue to lean into it. And here's what I'll tell you. If you'll go first, if you'll risk, if you'll be hospitable, if you'll invite people over to your house and say, I'm not cleaning up. This is just the way, <laughs> it's just the way this is. Yeah. This is me. And don't be gross, but obviously you don't have to call a house clear every time. If you'll just go first, we're in a culture now that is desperate for people to raise their hand and go, I'll go first. Y'all come over. And then, you know what I mean? Play a game, talk, ask hard questions, get online and come up with 40 questions. I printed a bunch of decks of cards with just questions for couples and questions for people sitting around a table for friends who are having drinks and chips and queso to figure out life. And it's been amazing, the feedback. It's been, oh, thank God, thank you, right? But we're practicing. We're just going to lean back into this thing. Yeah, I would say that has been one of the things that has been most transformational for my husband and I. And, you know, we set out, you know, we've been married 10 years and um, a few years into our marriage, we, we started to talk very seriously about what is the vision and mission of our family? Like, yep. what is what, what does that look like? And that is going to be every family's vision and mission is going to be different. 
But, you know, he grew up uh, a Christian. I did not grow up a Christian. Um, you know, my relation, I didn't become a believer till I was 25. And when I think back to what I was going through prior to that, and then really the last, especially the last few years, like what I have found in community, um, it's become just a huge, huge, huge passion of of our family to have this just laser focused vision and mission of just fellowshipping with other believers, uh, you know, and fellowshipping with non-believers, uh, discipling people, inviting people into our home, and just having it be a, a community and. And I think it goes back to what you were saying. Um, I think you called it a model and picture and model. Is that what you said? Pictures and models. Pictures and models. And I think back to a lot of that stems from my childhood. And because I grew up the parents uh, or the daughter of recovering alcoholics, and Mm. uh, we had AA meetings in our house three times a week. Mm. And so I was literally surrounded by community um, you know, for the majority of my childhood. And I, I mean, we would have Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners and we would invite, uh, kind of the, the riffraff and the people who didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving or Christmas, or, you know, didn't have family or had kind of been ostracized maybe by their family or, uh, had been kicked out of their family or whatever. And I mean, I remember Thanksgivings where we would have 55, 60 people in our house. We'd have to cook multiple turkeys and everybody's bringing a snack and pie and like all these kinds of things. And I think back to that time and how transformational that was for me to see my parents in community. And when my mom got sick, like, guess who came and surrounded us? It was mm. it was their community. It was their community of people who, you know, brought over hams and casseroles and, you know, <laughs> funeral sandwiches and just all the things <laughs> that um, th- those were the people that walked through the pit with us. And we would go camping together and we would uh, do life together. And that was modeled for me. And so when we you know, in the last couple of years, as we'd really talked about this, you know, vision and mission for our family, when we moved to our farm, I said, I want us to be, that's the house I want for us. Mm. That's the community I want for our kids. I want our kids' friends to show up and to not knock on my door and to just go in my pantry and grab snacks and annoy me. But deep down inside, I'm going, they feel like they are family. And so they can just walk in my house and go grab snacks from the pantry because they know they're welcome. And, um, and so we, we did this past uh, year, we invited anyone and everyone who needed a place to go for Thanksgiving. And we thought like, maybe we'd have, you know, like maybe like 10, 12 people. We had 31 people in my house for Thanksgiving. Um, and it was the, it was, I remember standing there and I'm cooking this massive meal and I'm looking around and I started to cry because I just was like, this, this matters. This matters. Community matters. And people were connecting with each other. And I mean, it was like perfect, like strangers were sitting across the table from each other and left having exchanged phone numbers and been like, hey, let's hang out. And it just, it was such a beautiful picture of it doesn't have to be hard. It's just invite people. People want to be invited. And it takes work. It takes effort. Like it just does. But it matters. It matters. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's the root of healing is other people. Yeah. Yeah. And then on, you know, the other point that you made too is, is our stories. And, um, and I think it, it's connects so perfectly with that first point you made is having relationships with people where you can talk about those stories and you can talk about those things and you can say, Hey, Hey, here's my stuff. Let me hear your stuff. Let's talk about our stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and then how can you move forward and, um, and look, you know, not say I'm not going to f- forget those things that have happened. They are a part of me, but how do I take those things and learn from them and move forward and, and, and change, you know, like in your, in your book, like cha- changing your future and how, um, vital that is for, for healing long-term and, and for really owning you know, what it looks like to live a life that is full and, and connected and beautiful and funny and sad and all of it, all of it, all of it. 
And you brought up something I think is important to put a pin in, which is this is heavy and hard to say out loud. Yeah. And I have sat with people who have experienced things. That I simply can't wrap my head around how they walked through that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there comes a moment of choice. Am I going to hang on to this story or am I going to look in the mirror and I look around at the community of people that are surrounding me and say, all right, here's what happens next. And that's when you take that, that first wobbly step off the path that's laid out in front of you, which is one of recycling and you're the worst thing that ever happened to you. And this is all you're ever going to be worth. And you take the next step off into the woods and you say, I'm going for something different. I'm going to live something different and I'm going to end up with a lot of scratches. I might lose an eye, a couple of fingers along the way, but carving a new path is going to be where my kids walk and my grandkids walk, yep. and my neighbors walk and my country walks. It's worth getting out there. Everybody grab a machete. We're going, we're carving a new path. And that's so hard. And most of us look at that wilderness and we say, dude, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. There's some program for me here. I'll be fine. And man, every one of listening to this is worth carving that new path man well i think that is the perfect place uh to put a bow on this conversation uh this has been so good uh for the we're listeners no we're, we're not me? we're not done because we have to get oh, to know okay, you good. question that was my uh that was my uh little hunting <laughs> quote all right good. we done um but for the listeners uh I i'm just gonna say this right now you should actually hit pause on this and then come back and finish it um but go order John's book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. This, like I said at the beginning, this is a topic. These are issues. These are things that we need to be talking about because it is a it is a real problem. And the like I like I said earlier with the with my going to the bathroom analogy, like it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better until we start to deal with it. Um, so I I love that. Uh, that's probably the only time anybody has ever compared uh, your, in, you know, talking about mental health and anxiety to going to the bathroom. So uh, you're oh, welcome. I got, a lot, I, I got a lot of flack early on my show. I just think diarrhea jokes are hilarious. And so I think we're I think we're of one heart and mind there. And they said, hey, I'm going to just dial back to diarrhea jokes on your show. Just, just a, about 30 percent. Hey, it's like, all right. They're welcome here. They're welcome here. You know what? I have a six year old and an eight year old. My life is poop and fart jokes. So we're just <laughs> and I think is it isn't it? Uh, is it Larry the Cable Guy or or Jeff Foxworthy or something that's like, I don't care who you are. Like farts are funny. And if you don't if you can't laugh at a fart, you're missing out on a whole lot of laugh. So. All right. Um, so this happened. This is probably 20 years ago. <laughs> I was in a movie theater and, you know, I had to go so bad. And I didn't want to leave. And I kept having to go, kept having to go. So I sprinted <laughs> out to go to the bathroom and I ran into the, the bathroom. I was trying to go as fast as I could. And there was a man down the wall of urinals and he was, he was between 750 and a thousand years old. At least. <laughs> and he had this really rad fedora on that only a dude who's that old could wear. And he's just standing there going to the bathroom. And then he just lets one rip. <laughs> and I look straight ahead and I start smiling and then I, my shoulders start shaking a little bit. And again, I'm trying to hustle. And he looked at me and smiled and he said, I don't care how old you get. That's funny. And I started guffawing. And I, I remember that story for 20 years. And I remember telling myself, that's me. When I'm yeah. 90, I want to be able to smile and be like, well, here we are, young man. And I hope that I can retain that sense of humor and that sense of joy in my life. I love it, man. We have really just covered it all in this episode. <laughs> we have gone from chickens to really serious mental health issues and ending on farts. I am a huge fan. I think, John, you are my people. I love this. <laughs> um, okay, so before we go, it's time for the get to know you round. Not that we haven't clearly been getting to know you over the last 53 minutes or so. Uh, John, are you ready for the get to know you round? Let's do it. All right. Question uh, number one. Um, what is the best concert that you have ever attended? Oh, man. No question about it. Pantera and White Zombie, 1996. It was incredible. <laughs> it was a metal mayhem. Um, I love it. I like picturing really young John. <laughs> that dude was a maniac. Yeah, I was a super metal head. And Did you I have long big, hair? loud, wild shows. Yes. Um, no, I didn't have I didn't have super long hair. I used to cut it real short. I was just trying to be so tough. I was such an idiot. Um, but yeah, I loved good metal shows. And that one was in 
<laughs> how's this for life trivia? It was in the old Rocket Houston Rockets. Mm. Um, they called it the Summit, which is now Joel Olstein's church. That's so right. you make of that what you will, right? But that okay. was the uh, that's that's the concert that impressed impressed itself upon my my brain. It clearly did because you answered that question without hesitation. So <laughs> I love it. That show was wheels off, man. Wheels not, off. Not good for the uh, the character of the morale, but man, that was a blast. I love it. Okay, if tomorrow for no for no bad reason or any you had you woke up and you could not you could no longer do for a living what you currently do for a living just like nothing bad happened you just you were forced to have a totally different career what would you do oh man can i give you my crazy answer yes please this is this is a hundred percent true i was part of we talked about a little bit earlier i was obsessed with career hopping and with getting the next line and the next um dollar amount and the next title I was obsessed with titles and how do I get this title? How can I be from assistant to associate? I can associate to full-time. I can to vice president. I was just obsessed with it running and jumping. So part of getting well was me working with police officers after hours. So I'd be the Dean of students of a law school during the day. And I'd go work with police officers in the middle of the night doing death notifications and things. And a, a cornerstone of that journey for me was sitting with people when they had a, a, a child who'd passed away in the room over, mm. or they had um, a husband or a wife who had just passed away. And they look at you with a particular look and they say, what do I do now? Right. I don't know where the uh, checking account, I don't know. Like, what do I do now? Like they're in, t- they, they've lost part of their lungs and part of their heart. Mm. And here's what I begin to do in short order. I begin to hold my job title and my quote unquote obsession with career really, really loosely because it was a, big neon sign, this thing goes fast. Yeah. And here's the question that I was forced to answer. Dude, who are you? What are you doing? And I looked back across my life when I worked at Burger King when I was 16 years old, and I learned that in 15 seconds, I could make somebody's day or ruin it. Just in 15 seconds by how you greet somebody who's half asleep, just trying to get through life. Their life is of such that they're eating a Burger King for lunch, right? And I can make their day better in 15 seconds by just smiling and saying, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Or I've been a high school teacher. I've been a, you know, uh, Dean of students. I've been a crisis, like whatever the thing. So here's what I'll tell you, whatever job come what may, I'm going to be about making sure people are a little more joyful and a little more peaceful. Like the great Randy Harris said, when they're done with me, I can do that running a lawn business. I could go back to law school. I could go back to working at a university my life will always revolve around how can I make li- people's lives that are messy a little bit lighter um, today than it was yesterday. That's the perfect answer. I love it. Um, okay. And then my last question is the question that I ask all my guests, and that is, John, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Going back and answering that question. Yeah. What are you doing? Here's the, so I've sat with single moms as a counselor, a millionaire, like everybody in between. The question that nobody can answer is what do you want? Like, what do you want? And if you can answer that question and apply it to business, to apply it to solving problems for people so much so that they'll pay you money to help for your, your solution, to put clothes on their back, to put shoes on their feet, to put tires on their car, whatever their business you've fallen for. Ask yourself, what do you want? What life do you want? What are you, what are you doing? Who are you serving? What are you being about? And so when I, when I, if you ask me a question like, what's business with purpose? Answering that question, who do you want to be and what do you want? And then go make that happen. So good. John, this has been a true honor, a pleasure. You have been uh, a joy and I feel a little bit more peaceful. So You're you've done your job. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm grateful for you. And uh, go hug some of those chickens. I will. They're going to be sad for you. And when you get done with that, you hug your kids too, blah, blah. But pay attention to the turkeys and the chickens. Hey, thank you. You're so wonderful. I'm grateful for you, Molly. Oh, man. All right. Tell me if you think that I need to have Dr. John Deloney back on the show again uh, sometime soon because, man, he was awesome. Such a good conversation. Be sure to tune in next week where my guest is Whitney English, and she is an author. She uh, started the day designer planner company. She is just amazing. We had so much fun. So please be sure to tune in next week for my conversation with Whitney English. 
also after that is episode 300 300 oh my goodness i cannot believe we are two weeks away from the 300th episode of business with purpose this is absolutely incredible and i need your help so email me hello at stillbeingmolly.com. You can send in your questions that my family and I are going to answer in the episode. And also I would love to feature you. So send in an audio clip that tells me your favorite guest, maybe your favorite episode, something you've learned from the show or how the show has impacted you over the years. All you have to do is just record a clip of yourself in the voice memo section of your phone. It's right right there on your phone. There's a little voice recorder. You can re- record your memo and then just email it to me. Hello at stillbeingmolly.com. And I would love to feature you in the show. As always, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If there is something that you learned or something that you loved, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the show hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the subscribe or follow button and take a moment to leave a review or a rating of the show. This really helps me to grow the show. It helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Thank you to the incredible team at Third Wheel Media for producing my show each and every week. I could not do this without you. Thank you so much. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.